All right, so uh, happy Easter. Happy, you're thinking, wait a minute, you're not keeping track. That was a few weeks ago. And, and so we are in this 50-day celebration called Easter. Uh, it's not just on the calendar that says Easter was on April 1st. No, it wasn't April Fool's Day. But it's a 50-day celebration. And today we continue that conversation about resurrection being everywhere. And when we say resurrection everywhere, we do mean to all nations and all peoples But we also mean resurrection going in places like fear, loneliness, depression, anxiety, um, things like that where we really need to know that Jesus' resurrection is true. And today our topic is conversion, conversion. And I'm not up here to convert you to stop liking peanut butter and to start liking almond butter, although give me a minute and I will. Um, I have friends that try to convert me from being a wine liker or lover into liking beer, and I'm just not there yet. I don't really understand beer like I do wine. Um, Or give me a moment, and I might try to convert you to become a Golden State Warriors fan if you're moving from Georgia, if you're an Atlanta Hawks fan or something. Just give me a moment. The point in this conversation today in conversion is conversion is not my role. It's not your role when we think about conversion, spiritually speaking. Conversion is a life change that happens, but it's because God has done a dramatic event in a person's life and that only God could do. And it may have happened like that for that person. Um, More often than not, though, it's been a process, though, for this person. So the two things we're going to look at today is that God desires that all people, all people everywhere would know this good news. And the second thing we're going to look at is that we, we too desire that all people everywhere would know this good news. So our text here is uh, taken from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 17. And uh, prior to the reading of this, I'm going to try to paint a little bit of a context for you. The writer here is the Apostle Paul. And If you have read about Paul or heard anything on the History Channel about Paul or have been reading your Bible, you know about Paul. And you look in Acts chapter 2. This is after Jesus has died, he's rose from the dead. The church has just gotten started. His followers are beginning to gather. They're beginning to gather in houses, different neighborhoods, different little cities in the known Mediterranean world. And there's persecution happening also. And as sure as that persecution keeps increasing, the spread of the church starts increasing also. God has designed it in such a beautiful way. There are people who are suffering for their faith. One individual named Stephen. He is found in Acts chapter 7. He ends up getting stoned. He preaches a sermon. Um, No one's going to stone me, right? Okay, good. So he he gets stoned right after the sermon. And uh, there in the crowd celebrating that stoning is a person named Saul. He's our writer of what we're about to read. He's not converted yet as he's in that crowd cheering on the stoning of Stephen. If you read chapters uh, 8 and beginning there of chapter 9, you see that this Saul um, is, is looking for Christians to go and drag them away to have them either burned or killed. He hates Christianity. He hates anyone coming uh, again to claim that they're king instead of, instead of Caesar. Um, So imagine that as now a converted person who was named Saul, now turned to Paul, is writing these words, okay? So we'll 
we'll read this together and we'll come back to Paul in just a moment. Paul writing here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 17 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. Let's pray for just a moment here and ask God to open our minds and our hearts and our attentions and our passions to hear what he has to say to us. Father, we pray asking uh, you right now to, to change us, whatever needs to change within us. We invite you to do that. Lord, we pray that you would encourage us. We pray that you would teach us. Father, help us see that you're a, a loving God wanting all wanting all to experience your grace and your mercy. And then would you make us into those people that that really want that for other people? Not forcing it on anyone, but wanting it for others because we've experienced it. So Father, help us experience your grace, your mercy, as we think about you having the power to change people in these moments. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first thing, remember, we're going to talk about here is God's desire. God's desire for all peoples to hear this good news. He says Jew and Gentile alike. This is not a religion that's getting started that's just for a certain ethnicity. He's saying Jew and Gentile. If you're not a Jew, like, that's most likely all of us right here. And in that day, Paul was a Jew, but yet he knows that he's speaking words of this good news that's going to be for all people, not just people of a certain ethnic stripe. Another one of Paul's letters uh, to uh, a young protege, Timothy, who's also kind of in training and learning uh, to be a pastor. He's writing to Timothy, and uh, he mentions to Timothy that God desires that all people, all people would be saved. He wants Timothy to really get that. He really, he really wants Timothy to feel that, to know that the heart of God is for all people. It's not just for those that grew up in church. It's not just for those of us that grew up in the South where there's churches everywhere. Anyone, everyone is who God has in in God's eyes and in in God's eyesight in terms of who God loves, in terms of who God wants to be a part of his kingdom and receive this salvation. Who might be coming to your mind right now as someone who might be hard to love? Can you think of somebody that's hard to love? Don't say names. (laughs) Can you think of somebody that's really challenging to love or hard to love or maybe even a subculture that, Maybe you don't really relate to all that well. Someone in your mind that you may think is super evil or way, way, way far away from knowing God. God loves that person. 
God loves that group. God loves those outsiders or people on the fringe or people that don't seem to really have a place in the family. God loves those people. So when he's saying that God God desires for all to be saved, God's grace goes to realms and places that you and I really can't even imagine. My own personal conversion story, uh, part of it at least, was um, I was a college student, and I was in college not wanting anything to do with Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever been in a season like that in your life where you're really comfortably feeling like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. My own mindset regarding Jesus was I felt like Jesus was chasing me with a straitjacket. I felt like Jesus wanted to put his religion or something like on me and, and make me conform to it, whatever it was. And I don't know about you, but does that sound fun? Does that sound life-giving? Does that even really sound like Christianity? No. But that's what I felt. That's what I thought. And so I ran really, really far away from that until I met a friend in college who was a Jesus follower, loved Jesus, and was talking about Jesus to me in a very different personal way. He wasn't talking about religion. He wasn't talking about a set of rules. He wasn't talking about, hey, let me convert you. Hey, if you just believe like this. He said, Troy, I think I understand who you are. You're a risk taker. You're a pleasure seeker. You're entrepreneurial. You like challenge. You like complexity. You like diversity. And you're afraid that Jesus is going to take all of that away from you, aren't you? And I was like, yes. How did you know that? And I said, you know, I really feel like Jesus is trying to chase me with a straitjacket and take everything of those things about my identity and how I know myself away from me, my music, my clothes, my sexuality, whatever. And he said, no, Jesus is trying to take the straitjacket off of you. Man, I don't know about moments in your life where you've had just such a radical change in perspective or worldview or eyesight or what happened in that moment for you. But for me, that was the beginning of conversion for me. That was the beginning of realizing, wait a minute, this isn't about religion. This is about a God who's already secured salvation for peoples around the world, multi-ethnic, multicultural. He's already secured it. So salvation or conversion isn't left up to me. And I don't know about you, but that was good news. That felt so different and so uh, liberating to me to know that salvation was something that was already secured based on something that Jesus had already done, not something that I needed to go and do. And so in, in first century, in which our writer is writing, in, writing into, that's why it's called good news. This was that word gospel. This is a Greek word, euangelion, where we get the word evangel or evangelize. And I know current modern day contemporary culture has really, really had a lot of fun with that word, evangelical church. Ugh. Right? They, ugh. You don't want to be a part of an evangelical church because it's those people that are bigoted. It's those people that are on the street corners, Bible beating. It's, and, uh, and that portrayal of evangelical uh, orthodox Christianity is not what's in the Bible. Let's just make that really clear. Euangelion, or evangel, or good news, means news. It's already happened. We're celebrating something that's already taken place. 
That's why we gather as a church to sing like we're doing. We're singing about a victory that's already taken place. We're singing about a victory that's already happened in your life that you and I can own and and participate in. We're not hoping that this news happened. It happened. So evangel or sharing it is really on God's heart. That's, That's where we want to start. It's on God's heart here. Uh, think about these words here, this phrase here that says, calling on the name of the Lord, right? So anyone, everywhere, calling on the name of the Lord. My friend who was asking me in in college, before my conversion, if I was a Christian, I said, hell yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm from the South, man. And and I go to church. (laughs) And, And every now and then I'll throw a couple dollars in the plate, you know? Uh, so, when, so when he asked, are you a Christian, I said, hell yeah, because I felt like that was a dumb question. Am I a Christian? What he was really asking is, do you know God? Do you love God? Don't tell me where you go to church. Don't, don't tell me some experience that you have, but have you really connected? And do you really have a personal relationship with this God? So I just want to say that God is really creative, really creative in God's, the way, the way that God loves people and wants all peoples to experience his grace, for me it was very experiential because I'm experiential. Last week when we looked at um, uh, Doubting Thomas, what was Thomas? Thomas was very intellectual. Thomas had incredible um, thought-provoking questions. And verbatim, what does Jesus do when he met Thomas? verbatim, he comes in there and he says, oh, you're doubting that I exist or that I rose from the dead because you need to to touch and see my wounds? Well, then do it. Here I am. The point here is God is so creative to, to meet you and meet me in our conversion in the exact way that we need it. It's beautiful. Throughout history, there have been many atheists, there have been many agnostics that have tried to disprove the resurrection And in that pursuit of trying to disprove the resurrection, what happened? They ended up getting converted. Is that because they got smart enough and kind of figured it out? No. It's because that was their process. That's how God had made them. God had made them intellectual. I'm thinking of a person named Simon Greenleaf. Have you heard of Simon Greenleaf, 19th century Harvard law professor, told his classes that the resurrection is a legend. It's a fairy tale. This is what he taught at Harvard. And some of his class or some of his students challenged him to use the same rules of evidence that he used in law and in court cases, use that same rules of evidence for the resurrection. They put him to that challenge. And the story goes that, that as he started looking into this, he could not explain the willingness of those early Christians to suffer and to die for this faith. How do you explain that? Why would someone, uh, and as you know, some, some of those apostles would later go on and be imprisoned and die. It was so compelling to this law professors. Um, he, he went on, and I'll, I'll quote him right here. He says, if their testimony was not true, there was no possible motive for its fabrication. Do you understand that? Why would, why would these people have made up such a gospel or a good news? Why would even in the Bible, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, a few weeks ago on Easter, and remember we said that it was, it was women who went to the tomb first, 
and notice the resurrection of Jesus, why in that culture would they have placed women as being eyewitnesses of the resurrection? Because in that culture, you would have poo-pooed the whole story uh, if women had been eyewitnesses. So this professor is saying that, um, he, he says he ended up concluding, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. Amazing. He's converted. He's converted. He didn't, he didn't get converted because someone was preaching like loud enough or repetitive enough or convincingly enough. He got converted, and you do and I do and others do and will, when there's been a process, a genuine, true process of you just being you. You just be you. You seek, you search, you look for truth. God meets you right there beautifully, creatively. Um, C.S. Lewis, 20th century uh, Christian writer. Uh, wasn't a Christian. He, he basically grew up in a library. Um, his, his family were, uh, were bookish, and G.K. Chesterton books really influenced him. He, he loved G.K. Chesterton. Yeah, another one of his uh, famous writers was J.R. Tolkien. I mean, this is, this is the writer of Lord, The Lord of the Rings. He ended up becoming friends with J.R. Tolkien. Tolkien shared his testimony or his conversion with C.S. Lewis. So God used almost like heroes of C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis's love of literature to help C.S. Lewis in his conversion. Um, Let's get back to Paul for just a moment here. Paul, he's first century, present-day Turkey. And there he is, he hated Christians, and his conversion came in Acts chapter 9, where the resurrected Jesus shows up to this man named Saul. He's blinded, it says in Acts chapter 9, he can't see. And, um, and Paul speaks out to whatever, actually to whomever, that has blinded Paul. And he says, uh, who are you, Lord? And Jesus replies, I am the one that you are persecuting. You will be changed. Uh, You will begin to follow me, love me, and you will begin to be an evangelist. You will be used in a dramatic, beautiful way in these known cities, in this known world, Corinth, Galatia, to start new churches and be a voice for me. Had Paul ever imagined following Jesus? Did he ever want to? Was that ever ever even a thought? The point here again is God's creativity to see people's story, to see your story, see my story when we're not even aware of what's all going on. Or the jailer. Remember the jailer, another famous conversion that takes place in Scripture. Remember this? By that time in, in church history, Paul has been arrested. He's in prison. And uh, there's an earthquake. And the jailer gets really nervous because the jailer's thinking, all the prisoners are just going to leave. And so the jailer thinks he's going to kill himself. He feels very shameful about it. And Paul assures the jailer, we're all still here. No one's left. We're still here. And the jailer announces or says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? It was so compelling for that jailer. Something had happened. Something was going on that I can't even explain right now that the jailer himself couldn't even describe. 
But there was an urgency to it. What must I do to be saved? Paul went on to explain to him the gospel, the good news. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and what Jesus has already done for you. That's what you do to be saved. It's not me sending you out on some spiritual journey and telling you to work hard at your morality and do this and bless here and give there and do that. Those things happen in us, but they're always um, a response to God's grace. Or I'm also thinking of St. Augustine in the 4th century. Northern Africa is where he's located. And if you remember the story of St. Augustine, some say he was a sex addict. Some say he was very uh, epicurean in his desire of things and experiences. And uh, yet he's, he's stuck in life. He's at this point in life where he wants a new life. Yet he's stuck in the old life. Have you been there before? You ever experienced that before? You want out of whatever you're in, and it seems to be holding you back, and you want a breakthrough. That's where St. Augustine was. And he's at a friend's house. The story goes, he's at a friend's house, and there's a scroll. of. This is fourth century. You're following this, right? There's a scroll lying right beside him at this friend's house. And he hears this little child singing next door that, uh, in Latin, uh, tole lege, tole lege, which... Um, St. Augustine knew that it meant take up and read, take up and read. So he, he looks down and he finds this scroll and he takes it up and starts reading. And it's Romans chapter 13, the same author Paul is writing, and it says, let us behave decently. Let us behave not with carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension, not in jealousy, rather Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. He was converted. St. Augustine was converted by reading God's word and all of those events that just took place that I just described. Or Martin Luther in the 16th century, Germany. You're getting how global this is and how big God's heart is for people all around, everywhere. Martin Luther, he's a Catholic monk. He couldn't quite find assurance that he had been forgiven of his sins. Many of us have felt that. So his attempt in wanting that assurance that I've been forgiven of my sins is I'm going to study harder. I'm going to study the scriptures. I'm going to memorize them. I'm going to translate it into uh, German because at that point it was only in Latin. Um, I will give myself and devote myself to God's service. And one day, while he was studying, see how God uses who he was? One day, while he was studying, he's reading Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew and for the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It wasn't doing. It wasn't getting busy for God to be converted or to be saved. It was believing. That means resting in. It means trusting in, taking hold of, placing your identity on something that had already happened. That's good news. That's what converted them. Not a busyness or an angst to work it all out. Because as you and I know... We're being reconverted. I mean, there's this process of our faith of of, of being continually changed the more and more as we're getting to know 
Jesus. One, one more example, Jonathan Edwards, uh, 18th century American uh, here in the United States, uh, preacher right around the Great Awakening. Um, he was a son of a minister. He, he dreaded, dreaded the thought that God was sovereignly in control, that God had power over all things. He dreaded it, felt like a robot. Son of a minister, uh, he was converted when he came to be at peace and draw strength from this verse. This is in 1 Timothy. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He's writing in the 18th century. Listen to the beauty of what he's saying here. The first instance that I remember, Jonathan Edwards says, of that sort of inward, sweet delight in God. Do you hear something different there? Does that sound like religion to you? Sweet delight in God? He's talking about joy and loving God here. He says, sweet delight in God and divine things that I have lived much in since was on reading those words. As I read the words, there came into my soul and, and was, as it were, diffused through it, a sense of the glory of the divine being, a new sense, quite different from anything I had ever experienced before. How excellent a being that God was. Oh, how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God, that I might enjoy knowing that God. And I prayed in a different manner, quite different from what I was used to, with a new sort of affection. This is what conversion is about. Do you have affection for God? Has God changed your heart and your, your mindset in such a way that there's gratitude? That, that, I mean, why do we pray? Yeah, because we need things. But what about those moments of prayer where literally you just fall down? You just fall down and say, oh, God, you, everything I have is because of you. Being made right with God, as the scriptures say here, is something that you've done. It's all gratitude. You love me. You love me. Thank you, God. Lastly, much shorter here, the second thing is our desire to see all people's know this good news. So there's God's desire, and then there's our desire for all people to know this good news. If you go back and read in your own time the earlier portion of Romans chapter 10, start with verse 1, and Paul, our writer, is saying, my deepest desire, my deepest desire is that all people, is that all people would know this love of God. If you want to know what I dream about most, if you know what I want most, I crave most, it's that right there. He's saying, Paul, I want, I want everyone to know it. Why? Because he's experienced it. It's like having that fabulous meal or really getting into that amazing sports team. And you can't help yourself. You want others to enjoy it as well. So that's what he's saying here in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Look in verse 14 and 15 with me. It says, how How can they believe in Jesus if they've never heard of the good news? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? I'm thinking about my friend who was a true friend who asked me questions. Who asked me questions like, are you a Christian? Or what does it mean to be a Christian to you? Or would you like to come study the Bible together? He was committed to me. He asked me those questions. He gave me space to think. He wasn't trying to convert me. 
He was my friend. He loved me in that way. Think about your friend who introduced you to Jesus. Maybe it was a group. Maybe it was a mom. Maybe it was a dad. Maybe it was a a Sunday school teacher somewhere. Maybe it, it was a preacher somewhere. Maybe it was a friend that just knew you enough cared for you, loved you enough that that, that began to talk to you about that. Not in an awkward way. (laughs) Definitely not in an awkward way. I love the last part of that verse where it says, how beautiful are the feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Not because you got your pedicure, not because your toes are all equal length and whatever else we think about feet, but your feet are beautiful Because you're a messenger of the good news. Right? You you and I, we, we are taking this good news. We're not trying to convert people. It's not our role. We're here living out. We're here speaking out, declaring good news. Come with us. Join in this party. Celebrate with us the one who's celebrating us. Come celebrate with us a God who knows us and loves us. In spite of us, that's grace. That's gospel. Conversion is life-changing. Conversion happens throughout your entire life. You've never arrived. You and I will never arrive. Christ Jesus has promised to come back. We know he lived. We know he died. We know he rose from the dead. But he's also promised to come back. And when he comes back, all injustice, all racism, all cancer, all depression, all anxiety, all of that will be taken away. That's what we long for. That's the last conversion that we're waiting on. Let's take a few moments and pray right now. Father, we we thank you for conversion. We thank you for your love for people everywhere throughout history. Thank you for your creativity, God. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for this good news that we're here to celebrate. Father, we thank you for for the, the mom or the dad or the best friend or perhaps a stranger or perhaps a Bible that was in a hotel room somewhere. Whatever creative means, God, you used to help us know Jesus and know the grace and mercy of Jesus, we thank you. We give you great thanks. We say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, right now, we also pray for for maybe a friend of ours, maybe a family member of ours. Maybe this person that we're praying for by name right now is is searching. Maybe, Maybe they're even intentionally trying to disprove Christianity. We pray that you would reveal yourself in a creative, powerful way that brings about life change. Father, we thank you for your grace and we pray in your name.